Welcome to It's a Small World. I'm Niasha, your host, and today's episode is about money and finances. Now, depending on your culture or your family background, or even your socioeconomic position, money can be a real sensitive and taboo and even complicated topic to deal with. Now, from trying to figure out how to get your credit right, investing, buying versus leasing a home or a car, student loans, saving money, retirement, and even budgeting, how to best manage your finances can be challenging and a bit overwhelming to navigate. Now, often many people, including myself, avoid getting support or even looking deeper into their financial situations because of fear and shame. Well, today's guest is a good friend of mine named Renee Sterling. She's originally from Miami, but is based in London, and she's a vice president, VP of a top international investment bank, and has also started her own business called Sterling Financial Fitness, where she helps people to own their finances and to become financially fit. Now, in this episode, Renee is going to share her journey of overcoming being in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt almost foreclosing on her home. The struggle of living paycheck to paycheck and the temptation of trying to keep up with the Joneses or as we would now call keeping up with the Kardashians. Renee is also going to share with us five tips on how we can move past shame and fear so that we can have the courage to step fully and to be financially free. Thank you so much for joining me, Renee. Uh, I'm so happy to have you on the show this morning. Thank you for inviting me. I truly feel honored to uh, be on this journey with you. Yes. And today, basically, we are talking about money, 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 money. And um, it's interesting because, you know, money, I think, is a very kind of taboo topic in some ways. It's a sensitive topic. It's a topic that um, I feel like. Uh, many people deal with and have different stories that they tell themselves about, um, have sometimes shame around. And oftentimes I feel like as I'm living this life of really pursuing my dreams and kind of living my best life and wanting to just live life to the fullest, one thing I often hear people talk about is how money seems to be like the main thing that keeps them from living their dreams. And so I brought on Renee Sterling today. Um, because I wanted her to share some of her story. She is also an expat living here with me in London, but she's an OG. She's been here for 10 years and is originally from Miami um, and just has an amazing story of how she has pursued her dreams of living abroad, but also has an incredible story of becoming financially fit and, and going from uh, a story of being in debt, but also coming to uh, a place where she's now helping people with her own company, um, which we'll get more into details about that. But again, thank you so much, Renee, for coming. Um, why don't we start off by telling a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what first brought you to London? Why London? Awesome. No, thank you. Um, so a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. Uh, Both of my parents are Jamaican, and they moved to the U.S. for better opportunities. And I continued to stay in Florida. Even when I went to college, I decided to go to University of Florida, go Gators. (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) 
massive school in sports and um I decided to do accounting and I was going back and forth of what degree to do but I met an amazing recruiter uh who used to work at the then Arthur Anderson and told me look you know with an accounting degree, you know, it can take you anywhere, you know? Mm. So I felt like accounting as the language of business Mm. would be a good starting point. When I was studying accounting at the time, less than 1% of licensed certified public accountants were identified as African-American. So it was just something that was near and dear to me to kind of break the mold and and increase representation in that field. So yeah, so I, after university, I moved and started my career in Atlanta. And at the time I had a boyfriend, thought this was the person I was going to marry forever and ever. Um, My boyfriend at the time was uh, still in law school at the University of Florida. And um, I always had in the back of my head that I, I wanted to live abroad. But because of September 11, um, my mom was like super protective and was like, no, stay where it's safe. Ironically, now Mm -hmm. we live in a world where nowhere is really safe. And I kind of raised it to Deloitte and, you know, bless Deloitte for being an amazing company. They said, "Okay, you're not yet ready um, or at the level that we normally would, you know, provide international experiences, but we'll give you an opportunity to work in. Washington, D.C., and it was really amazing. And I guess that even furthered my desire um, to live abroad because I was like, wow, D.C. is so cool, it's so big. Here's a girl from Miami, went from Miami to Atlanta to now D.C. I was like, wow, if I can do D.C. by myself, <laughs> right. I surely can do another, another city, right? And I still want to live abroad. I still want to see the world. Um, and so I heard of an opportunity and I applied and the opportunity was to work a year at a top investment bank in London, mm. went through the interview process and got the opportunity to to work in London. And that's kind of what, what brought me um, to London. It was always on my heart. So so you then get the fellowship um, at this top. And y'all, we're not going to say the name, but it's one of the number one banks, <laughs> international investment banks in the world. And so you get this role, you come to London. So again, in the view of the heart of money, which we were talking about, tell yes. us a little bit about where were you financially? And you talked about uh, just kind of wanting to also escape. And one thing yes. that I've, I've talked about, even with people who are interested in moving abroad and living abroad, oftentimes I do warn people, like, make sure you know, like coming and living in a new country, like it, you can't escape your problems and you can't escape where you're at. So wherever you go, that stuff is going to show up with you. So tell me a little bit about you coming to London and just kind of where you were and 100%. why that was significant. Yeah, so this was significant because I guess uh, what I should have said was when I was studying accounting, I was also interested in real estate and I read loads of books about real estate. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to explore a real estate opportunity where I could buy a property in Lehigh Acres Florida, which is um, kind of Southwest Florida, maybe an hour away from Tampa. Florida, as everyone knows, has, you know, amazing weather, no state mm-hmm. taxes. So a lot of incentives, right? Wow. And so knowing that I knew in my early stage of my career that I, I wouldn't be earning a significant salary in accounting, I decided to to explore it and and buy property. Now, at the time I bought property, everything was growing and it was very easy to get funding. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised now when I look about it in 2018, how 
back then in 2005, I was able to qualify for a mortgage um, <laughs> without even earning a dollar Man. yet. Yeah. Um, it was all on the potential of being an accountant. That's how, how they were willing to underwrite me so much money. Wow. And that's interesting because I actually had a similar situation when I was in Cali around the same time. And it was like, they were just like, there was such a financial um, boom around 2005 when, when it came to real estate. And it just seemed like the real estate market was so fluid and they really were handing out loans, yeah. mortgages, like, like Tic Tacs. Yes. <laughs> like, you, want, yeah. you want a mortgage? You want a home? You want a home? Like, and it's true. You know, just taking it. Like, and I mean, like a fool, you like, man, how, how do I, you know, just out of college with no down payment, with no yep. money in the bank, I'm going to be qualified for a $250,000 or more loan for a condo <clears throat> at the time in, Lon- um, in Long Beach. And yep. I remember my mom was like, this don't make sense. And I'm like, oh, mom, you, you know, you're just thinking too small. You think it's too small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and no, she tried it's to convince me. And I was just like, and I, same thing, went for it. And ended up being, you know, just a mess. And ended up also going to foreclosure and had to kind of just take the L. Um, so I can relate to that. Yeah, they call them the ninja loans. The no income, mm. no job loans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't heard that, the ninja loans. Ninja loans. And unfortunately, <laughs> you know, what's really unfortunate with those things is it tends to impact a certain demographic of people, yeah? Um, right. Yes, yeah. People trying to come up quick, you know, people who are going to be maybe low income, lower income, mm-hmm. thinking that you can, you know, make a dollar out of 15 cents. hundred <laughs> percent. And it's the whole thing is that, you know, you know, you really believe it, right? Because, yeah. you know, we just all have this assumption that it's a liquid asset, but mm. all of a sudden when people change their mind, you could mm. do whatever you want with it. If there's no market, you're not going to be able to sell. And that's exactly what happened to me yeah. holding that property for years. Wow. Um, and that's kind of what sparked my my drive, if you will, to to look at an opportunity in in London because at the time um, the pound was so much stronger than the dollar, and I wanted to transition from public accounting um, as a discipline and go into industry in investment banking, which you know was doing significantly well, especially the firm that I decided to join, as you said you know, it was the top of the league. So I felt like this was the right time, not only for aspirational purposes, but to be honest with you, I had to, because yeah. if I continued, I was, I was living check to check. So I was trying to leave my problems in, in America. But like you said, in life with, you can't escape problems because, you know, it ended up being a global problem mm-hmm. with, with the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then you basically... Um, you get to a point where you have to decide if you're going to foreclose on this property or not, correct? Yes. So I, it was very stressful, right? Because owning this property, I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? You know, like I, I legit cannot afford this property, but there are serious implications. And, and this was a multi-year project of trying to maintain a property that was legit, you know, bleeding and hemorrhaging money mm-hmm. um but i felt like i had to i felt i had an obligation and it was something that needed to be rectified um and so i realized like 
I couldn't foreclose because of the serious implications and, and working in financial services, you know, your credit is one of the things that, you know, they look at. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to, you know, your normal background check, it, it's quite important to look at your, your financial standing as well, right? Especially if you're going to be working with money, what will you do? So it was important that I salvage my credit, but at the same time, I knew I was holding something that I could not afford. And you can imagine the amount of stress I'm going through dealing with that, as well as being thousands of miles from my family in a new country, in a new industry. It was a lot, to say the least, that was on my plate. And so I had to come up with a plan. London as a whole was just a more expensive city. So I'm, I'm paying lawyers, I'm paying for a mortgage, I'm paying rent in London. I finally decided I'm like, this property has to go Um, It took a long time. I mean, I was trying to get out of my situation from 2008. It wasn't until 2011 that I actually was able to get a short sale, which Mm -hmm. basically means you sell the property uh, at a price less than what your mortgage balance is. And then the bank agrees that, you know, your mortgage is settled. Um, So that's the, the option I end up going with, Okay. which I went from 200 just to let everyone know. I knew I was never going to make my money. I sold that house. The house I borrowed was 250000 We ended up selling it for $50,000. Wow. So basically all of this is happening when you move to London. And so not only are you having this issue with this, this home, this real estate option that's kind of draining you. And yes. you also talked about just being under a lot of other debt and you know, you said you kind of the next thought was to reach out to your parent at one point, your dad, maybe tell that story. Yeah, sure. So, you know, um, I knew my mom didn't have it. She's a nurse, but my dad, you know, after he qualified in the U.S., decided to go back to Jamaica, um, you know, to become an entrepreneur and start a number of businesses. And I knew my dad was financially in a position to help me. And I, you know, I was hemorrhaging money. And I asked my dad, I was like, dad, I, I just need a lifeline. Like, you know, I need your help. And my dad's like, well, what is it that you want me to do? And I was like, can you like lend me $10,000? Because I, I kid you not. So where I, were you now in debt? How much were you in debt at this point? Whew, that's a good question. So, um, I mean, when, at the time I reached out to my dad, I still had the house. I had dental bills because mm-hmm. I'm susceptible to cavities. So I had about $4,000 in dental bills. I had student loans of about six. Mm-hmm. I had credit card bills about six. Um, so if you include everything, I would say 280 because I should have highlighted that my mortgage was interest only. Mm-hmm. So everything I was paying was never going to the principal. Wow, so of course they gave you a good loan, right? Of course, with my ninja. <laughs> ninja loan, ninja term. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and one day the house would be worth 500000 right? So why right. would I worry about just paying interest? So all in all, I probably had about 280000 mm-hmm. but uh-huh. But the thing was the cash flow, right? So... You know, my interest rate, of course, was around 7%, which is very high. Mm. So I was paying around 1700 a month. Wow. Um, so I was, that's just for my mortgage and all those other bills that we talked about. So I asked my dad, I, I felt like I just needed 10000 because it got to a point 
I literally would be left with like ten dollars a month. Wow, it's insane. So just to kind of hold you over, just to hold me over. You wouldn't be struggling so much every, exactly every month, right? And so my dad just said, you know, well, why should I put good money in bad money? Mm. And that struck a chord with me. Uh, that that made me realize, you know what? I got to get the boots. I got to be resourceful. I got to figure this out. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to allow this to cripple me. Mm. And ideally, it would be great if I had a parent that would write me a blank check to help me ride the wave. But that wasn't my story. Ideally, it would be great if I had a Prince Charming that said, hey, don't worry, I got you. But at the time, uh, my boyfriend at the time was in law school and we shortly broke up. So Mm. the only person that I had was Renee. (laughs) So Renee had to be creative. Mm. And I tell people all the time, when there's a will, there's a way and and pressure bust bite. Right? Mm. Um, That's what propelled me to just look for opportunities and be uh, resilient and have the grit and the determination to get out of it because it definitely wasn't going to come from anyone other than me. Wow. So for you, tell us a little bit about the process of you know, hitting your rock bottom, being in, here in London. I think it's also interesting because, you know, when you're living abroad and living in other countries and traveling, and we talked a little bit about, you know, um, before about kind of just even the persona that sometimes people feel they have to keep up. You know, we got this quote now, uh, you know, I'm living my best life, you know, yep. and people want to kind of, you know, show or keep up with the Jones or, you know. 100%. You know, tell tell me a little bit about how was that being here yeah. in London, working for this big time bank, technically having a, a great job where people will feel like, well, how are you struggling? You got this exactly. good job. You know, how did you deal with that? Um, yeah, I mean, it was hard, right? Because, you know, for a long time, in my opinion, you know, going to university, I was consistently top of my class in my sorority you know, one of the, one of the ones with the, the high GPA, uh, doing well in my career, moving to London. So everyone just thinks like Renee, oh, she's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to live that life that you're good. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the nice clothes to show that you're good. You have to have the nice <laughs> bag to show that you're good. Um, you got to go on all these trips to show right. that you're living your best life, Right. right? Because everybody's planning a trip every week, especially being out here oh, in yes. London and Europe. And it's so easy to kind of travel yes. to Italy one weekend and then you're going to Greece one. Because how many, I mean, how many countries have you traveled to? Do you yeah, know I mean, so far, 34 countries. Wow. I'm trying to do 40 by 40. Wow. Um, but yeah, like you go to all these city breaks. Oh, let's go punting in Oxford. Let's catch <laughs> a train to go to Scotland and then go to the Highlands. And and it's all increments, right? right. To your point, everything is so close. So it's just a, it's just two hundred pounds. Right. It's just three hundred pounds. But mm-hmm. but those things add up on top of my debt. So mm-hmm. for a long time, I felt kind of stuck because I'm like, I know I have this massive elephant in the room. But I also need to look the part because to your point, I'm an expat. You know, I'm in this sorority. I live in London. I work at this bank. Mm -hmm. So I must look the part. But that is very tiring and stressful when you start to to face your your issues Mm -hmm. and your finances. Mm -hmm. 
Why do you think that people really struggle with, like, keeping up with the Jones or, like, looking the part and yeah, and not I- saying no sometimes to that event where, you know, you probably can't afford to go or, you know, that trip or that bag, you know, going to an event where, you know, you can't afford to buy a new outfit, but you do so anyway. What do you think that is? I think it's just the way society has where we live in an era where it's all about show and tell, right? Mm -hmm. Like show how great your life is, show how well you're doing. And we tend to attribute these things to the experiences um, and the material possessions that you have. But the reality is this success is what you make of it, you know? Some successful, some people just see success as the fact that they wake up every day and they got friends and family who love them. Other people see success as I must have this, you know, black Chanel classic bag and I must only fly first class and business class. But I think, you know, social media plays a huge role into why we have this view of we need to, you know, keep up with the now Kardashians as opposed to keeping up with the Joneses, right? Like, <laughs> That's real. Yeah. The Joneses are those now. Right? And it's just like <laughs> reality TV. So I think that's the pressure. I think it's societal pressure that you have to look a certain part. But, you know, you start to get into the details and you realize a lot of people are paying a price to keep up with mm-hmm. the now Kardashians. Yeah, By the way, the card- oh, Go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say, I know that you, um, you mentioned, you know, there was a point where you, you know, shared with your friends, kind of just having that honest moment, like, look, yeah. I'm struggling and just feeling that, you know, that people will be looking like, wow. And you were actually surprised by yes. where other people were as well. 100%. So and I just started to talk to my friends because I was like, you know what, now that I got the house out the way, and now that I got my credit card out the way by, by doing this strategy, I started to talk to some of my friends and I was just like, I just feel so behind. I can't believe, you know, I'm turning 30. This was in 2012. I'm turning 30. And like my finances, in my opinion, aren't where they should be. Mm-hmm. And I started to talk to some of my friends and they're like, wow, you, you look at your finances? Like, I, I don't even know where to begin. Mm. And I started to think, wow, how do you not know where to begin? Like, I mean, isn't that something that's just a part of your strategy, a part of your planning? I mean, a lot of my friends, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're bankers, they're consultants. I mean, we all work at these top companies in leading industries. Um, but you get to it and you realize, like, actually, there are a number of people that that are still trying to figure out their finances or don't even know how to begin. And it, that's kind of what sparked my interest. And I started to kind of read about it. And I was more interested in, in black women, if mm. I'm honest. Um, and I also learned it just wasn't enough data and information on personal finances when it comes to, to black women. And I came across um, a very dated article, you know, that was done back in 2007, 2008, that basically said that the median net worth um, of a black woman, so you know the difference between how much they own, so their assets, and how much they owe their debt, uh, was five dollars. And oh. wow, yeah. And for Hispanics, a hundred dollars. 
and white women 36,000. Wow. Right. So then I realized, I was like, wow, like this is a bigger thing. And that's kind of what sparked my interest with Sterling Financial Fitness is because I wanted people to know it's never too late to to be financially fit. It's just Mm -hmm. from having those conversations. Wow. Now that's huge. I mean, the difference between how much race can impact uh, your finances. I mean, there's obviously so much to go into around that. Yes. Um, but I, you know, I'm really interested also to talk a little bit about the shame part and what, you know, you talked about being in this group of women who were successful and who were, you know, who did have great jobs and lawyers and doctors and, you know, consultants and working for top firms, but many also still really struggling financially and also didn't really necessarily have a plan. And I know that one thing, one thing for myself, um, just really over the years, having a lot of shame around my finances or, you know, just not wanting to face certain things. And people talk about, you know, people that when, you know, when bills come in the mail and you don't even want to look at them, you just kind of stuff them in that one drawer that you just hope things will just kind of work themselves out. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, and maybe even connecting it to um, being a black woman and, you know, how you feel the shame is a part of why people have a hard time being financially fit. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, I think especially when it comes to to black women, you're, you're always meant to just be really strong and you're meant to be a superwoman. But, you know, at the same time, like finances is something that it's not like we're taught in school. Um, You know, I can talk about my background, you know, my parents are, Jamaican that just was something that you know were adult business is what my mom would say and so it's not like I grew up in an environment where we would have a conversation about finances and Mm -hmm. so you go from you know being a child to going to school to graduating and then becoming an employee and then all of a sudden you're supposed to know all of this Mm -hmm. and we are in an era where, you know, everything is meant to be, you're supposed to be successful. You're supposed to have everything right. And so I think there is shame sometimes in admitting that you don't know and admitting that you may need help. Um, But that's why I wanted to start to promote that conversation. And to be honest, that's one of the reasons why I started to have, you know, an event called Women Who Brunch and Budget because I want to remove that formality and make it so that people feel comfortable to openly talk and ask the questions. Because, you know, I myself, I don't know all the answers, but all I can do is share practices that I've done and that have worked for me and that I can continue to see work in my financial journey. So I think, you know, to answer your question, I think the shame is because there's this expectation that we're supposed to know it. We're supposed to be on top of it. But at the end of the day, no one has all the answers. And we got to be more comfortable with saying, hey, I don't know, but I want to take the first step. And the first step is raising your hand saying, I just need help to figure out what should I do. But none of this is impossible. It's all about mm-hmm. taking the first step. Oh, that's amazing. Another thing that I know can be really tough when it comes to finances is like being in a relationship. So tell us a little bit about like your 
journey with that. I know you said you were dating the guy who was the lawyer. You guys broke up and you came and moved to London. Um, and then you re- then you ended up meeting someone new, right? Which, yep. which is always a story, right? Everyone wants to know, are you going to marry someone British? Did you meet anybody British? Like, yep. <laughs> so tell yeah. us, give us the tea on that. Oh, yeah. So it's really funny, right? Um, so when I moved here, I had just finished reading Eat, Pray, Love. And I had plans to like date an Italian and a Spanish and a French and just like do <laughs> all everything. Three of them. All three of them. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to taste the rainbow, live my best life. <laughs> <laughs> and I end up meeting my now husband a month after I moved here. Wow. Um, oh. Which is crazy. It's just, it just shows you how, how funny life is, you know, when you have plans and God laughs, right? Because he knows <laughs> what the real plan is. And so we met. Um, and obviously, so you weren't even here a month. You weren't even single for a month yet. You could basically the rainbow yet. Did not, did not. <laughs> Just went straight to this guy who's British um, and was in media at the time. And, you know, we just hit it off really well. It's just one of those stories, you know, you, when you least expect it, it's there. And so we've been together ever since. He's now my husband. So he has always obviously been there through my financial journey. And I want, I want to be honest, like, I didn't even feel like I was worthy to be his wife based on the amount of debt that I had because he is completely different from me, right? Um, he lives on a what do I need? versus what I want um, type mindset. And he's mm-hmm. always been the one that has always put it away, you know, at least a third of his money in savings or other investing vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. So just his financial situation was completely different from mine. And, and that was also something that was a burden because I'm like, how can I ever be someone's wife mm-hmm. when I have all of this that I'm bringing to the table? Um, so it was very stressful. And he, you know, God bless him. He was always like, but babe, it's just money. Mm. Um, so I think it's important, maybe two things from that situation. Uh, the first thing is I was transparent. I think mm-hmm. it's very important if you're in a relationship to let your partner know where you are financially, because if you guys are going to become a unit and get married, they have the right to know what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. And two, I learned that, you know, love is love. Um, and if somebody really loves you, give them that opportunity to know. And I was fortunate that he just saw it as this is temporary. We'll work through it. But 100 percent, I was embarrassed because I was just like, how can I have all these accolades? Yet I'm in this financial rut. So I had to let him know. Hmm. And that's deep that he was just one willing to just be like, yo, we're good. Like we can do this together. Um, but also it's also very cool that, you know, you did meet someone who did have a financial kind of discipline. And yes. what's his family background? I know you say he's, he's originally from, uh, he's British or he's so yes. he born and raised in London. Yeah. So he's, he's British, um, actually from Birmingham, but his okay. parents are, um, I guess Windrush, like they they moved from mm-hmm. the Caribbean um, in the 1950s. So his mom from Jamaica wow. and his dad from St. Kitts. Wow. Um, yeah. So and he's one of five. Wow. Uh, middle child. So that that was interesting. Wow. Um, so he, you know, he grew up in a what you would call like a traditional family. I guess both of his parents were married. Um, had 
few siblings and you know money wasn't really spoken of but I guess they did what they could and they stuck to a very strict budget him being Mm -hmm. one of five kids so he was very used to the hand-me-downs whatever his older brother wore he wore and likewise for his younger brothers they had to wear what he previously wore um so I think that that experience I guess has always been in his head that like you only really get things that you need Mm -hmm. um and I also think he's a self-learner so he's one of those people like he will read about things and just do his own analysis and say this sounds like a good deal so one of the things he did was he was an early investor in bitcoin um because he just believed in like the blockchain technology and also during the financial crisis he also invested some of his money during the peer-to-peer lending um platforms when that was new because remember in the financial crisis if you think big companies were having problems getting loans Imagine your moms and pop stores who needed mm. loans. And so that's what kind of gave birth to these peer-to-peer lending platforms like Funding Circle um, and Zopa. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think he, while he didn't have the conversation, his personality has always driven him to be more informed and learn about things and figure out how he can, you know, maximize the little money that he has. And, you know, it, it's taken him far if you talk to him, he'll tell you otherwise because we still don't own a property in London. <laughs> right. So he still got he still got goals of where he wants to go, but yeah. But obviously he's done really well with where he is and, and and it was huge for how it was able to bring you guys together and his ability one to kind of have empathy but also, you know, acceptance and kind of unconditional love for you but also having like a hopeful mindset, like, look, we can figure this out. Definitely. Definitely. So. I think it's, it's a good, it's a good combination, but I always want to stress to people, you know, wherever you are, you've got to be transparent. Yeah. I didn't think it would be right if I wasn't. Gotcha. That's why I love that you started your company. Um, and tell me the, tell us the full name of the company again. Yeah, sure. So it's Sterling Financial Fitness. Okay, so Sterling Financial Fitness, and I think, you know, just to what you've just spoken about, um, I do feel like even for myself, you know, as I'm also trying to be more financially fit, one of the greatest things that has helped me is having friends like you and that are willing to kind of walk with you step by step because there is a lot of shame and a lot of it is really, like you said, it's not necessarily your fault always when you maybe have never learned or you don't have that financial background, or even if you do, you haven't really had the support. I would love to hear some of the tips are what you do at, um, at Sterling financial fitness to help people. Like what are some of the top tips sure. that you feel you'd love to share? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm all about the power of fives. So I'll share my top five tips. Mm-hmm. Um, so for anyone that wants to get financially fit, I say the first thing is to know your starting point. You know, basically, you should know what your net worth is. And that's a case of saying, how much are how much what's the value of all the things I own? So your assets, and What's the total of all the things I owe? So that's your liabilities. 
And the difference between the two determines your net worth. I mean, because in order for you to make any progress, you have to know what your starting point is. So, so what would be an example of that? So an example is calculate that. If I have $500 in my bank account, mm-hmm. then my assets are the $500 in my bank account. If I have $250 on my American Express credit card statement, then my liability mm-hmm. is $250 on my American Express. Mm-hmm. And the difference between the two means I now have a $250 positive net worth. Mm-hmm. So my goal in that situation is, okay, I'm, I'm positive. I should focus on getting rid of my American Express debt. Equally, if I had nothing in my bank account and $500 in my American Express, then I have a negative net worth of 500. So before I could even worry about getting assets, I got to pay off my debt. So that's step number one is what's your starting point? Mm-hmm. What is your net worth? And that can be a scary point, right? Because that's it a is. part of pulling off the bandage. That's pulling the covers back. That's, that's all the part, you know, pulling the curtains back, whatever yes. else you want to use. That's the yes. part that can be the scariest. That is facing your financial mirror, but you have to, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I always tell people that's tip number one, because okay. you got to know what your starting point is. The second thing I say is check yourself before you wreck yourself. And what that <laughs> means is um, you, every year, just check your credit score. It's so important to make sure that, you know, all your credit cards or credit cards that you've signed up, you're not a victim of identity theft. Um, your credit, scar, credit, cor, credit score um, is extremely important because this is the metric that will determine how much borrowing you are allowed to get and what the interest rate is, right? So the better your score, the cheaper the debt is for you. Um, and so that's always important, right? Because you know, ideally, it'd be great if we can all buy our houses in cash. But the reality is, a lot of us will have to take a mortgage. But you want to secure your mortgage at the lowest interest rate possible. So it's so important to look at your credit score. I have it so that I check my credit score monthly. Um, but you know, to each his own. At the minimum, I tell people you should at least look at it every year, once a year. How important is your credit score at the end of the day. So I understand from the sense of um, wanting to borrow or the interest rate loan, but should people feel really discouraged if they have a low credit score? No, absolutely not. You shouldn't feel discouraged because similar to your net worth, right? It's important to know, okay, this is my credit score, but why is it low? You know, sometimes it may be low because it's a case of, you've had a number of late payments over the years. And so you've been dinged for that, right? Or it could be a case that, you know, you pretty much are close to the maximum of all your credit cards, right? Um, Sometimes it's about having a healthy balance of, you know, only using a certain amount, like a smaller amount of your entire credit card limit. So there could be a number of reasons why your credit um, credit score is low, but it's not the end of the world, right? Same with your net worth. You can fix it. Mm. So if you're making late payments, stop. Maybe you can reach out to your credit card company and say, look, I get paid. So in Europe, in London, I get paid once a month. I get paid 
the last Friday every month, mm. maybe you can negotiate and say, is it possible company that I pay my bill at the end of the month so that you don't get it to a situation where you're making late payments. But you know, right. the point is you should have insight as to what your credit score is mm. because it is a metric that will impact your finances in the form of even if you want to buy a car all of these things where you need to get a loan to purchase the cost of it your interest is going to be you know dependent on your score which is based on your track record of making payments to other companies that you have relationships with so the higher the score is the more people will vouch for you and therefore you get a benefit from having a good mm-hmm. word and a good payment the lower it is, the riskier you are. And because mm-hmm. of the perceived risk, you have to pay more. Okay. My third tip is you've got to maintain a budget. You know, if you look at any company, companies maintain a budget for a reason. So I think we should all see ourselves as individual companies. You know, mm-hmm. do you have enough resources or cash to meet all of your needs? So, you know, this is a case of understanding what money do you get? You know, either have a company, uh, either are a full-time employee, uh, maybe you own a bunch of real estate properties, but you should, you know, kind of add, amalgamate all of your income and say, okay, this is the money that I get. And, you know, determine the frequency, how often you get that. If you get paid monthly, every two weeks, um, for those who are freelancers and a part of the gig economy, Maybe it's not that frequent, but mm-hmm. the point is you should have insight into how much money you generate and you should also know your outgoings. And if you don't, this is a great exercise, you know, like what we were talking about for our net worth and what we were talking about for the credit score. This is a perfect exercise to just sit down and say, okay, here's all my incomings. Here's all my outgoings. Do I have enough money? <laughs> And this is a perfect time where the answer is, oh, on top of this, I also need to use my credit card to supplement this. This is a perfect time to say, what are your musts? You Mm -hmm. know, this is where you start to learn the difference between a must and a need. Mm. A must is I have rent because I must have somewhere to lay my head. Yeah. Right. And uh, a want is I really love the, uh, cappuccinos at costa you know (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to have a cappuccino at costa you can make one it may not be as good as costa so this is a good exercise to kind of learn the difference between like a needs and a must versus a nice to have and a want right um and to start thinking yourselves like a business businesses they always say Nothing personal, just business. This is what it is when it comes to your finance. Oh, so Nothing... either, either business, so think of yourself as a business or think of yourself as a mama who used to tell you the same thing, right? When hey. you say you want McDonald's and she said, I'll make you a burger. Exactly. <laughs> I want an ice cream from Ben and Jerry's. Like, we got ice cream. <laughs> and you exactly. always thought that was so hard. You know, I want some juice. Get you some water. You know, you always thought that was so harsh, but really it's like, you know they were also they were they had they had it they had it down when it came to knowing the reality of what you have and what you can spend right absolutely and it's just a calling exercise Mm -hmm. right so i i definitely recommend that people go through that you got to maintain a budget um Mm -hmm. my number four keep a stash aside 
for a shit hit the fans day. Mm. Um, you know, I really think one of the problems that people get into is that, you know, if you don't have money set aside, you always end up using your credit card for an emergency, right? Right. But if you get into the habit of just having some money, you know, set aside, like a thousand dollars is what I tell people, you know, have a thousand dollars for me. I live in London, so have a thousand pounds. Um, but the idea is you just want something that if God forbid you need a, you know, plane ticket, you need to catch a train, you need to go to the doctor, you have to go to the dentist for, you know, filling or something that's more than enough to cover an emergency so that you can get out of the habit of just swiping your credit card. Um, I tell people, you know, long-term goal, you should strive to have six months worth of expenses saved, but as a short-term goal to kind of get out of the habit of using your credit card, you should have a thousand dollars or a thousand pounds. That's a good one. Yeah. And my last one is pay yourself first. Um, I think it's really important that we develop a habit of saving and investing for the long term. And that is as simple as when you get paid, just get in the habit of, you know, putting money aside for your retirement. So if you have a company that offers a retirement plan, like a 401k, uh, you know, definitely capitalize on the matching program if they offer a matching. Mm -hmm. Um, And if your company doesn't, then you can set up your own individual retirement account. But I think it's very important, you know, as a millennial, I think, you know, we tend to get mislabeled as ones that think for the now, which isn't true. But I think it's very important that you think about your emergencies, but also think about the future and know that, yes, we're still young, but know that time waits for no one and it goes by quickly. So start to get into the habit to think about your medium to long-term savings goals and, and, and just start. It doesn't have to be this magic number. Don't wait for a perfect condition. Just start to get into the habit. So just be consistent and do it now. Wow, that's awesome. That's really, 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 really huge. Thank you so much for those tips. I just feel like that is everything. And how do we hear more about what you're doing if we want to learn more or get in touch with you? Or even if we need like our own personal financial advisor, um, if we need our own personal financial advisor, um, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just reach out to me. I'm on Renee. I'm at on Instagram, Renee A. Sterling. You can also find me on LinkedIn at um, just Renee Sterling and, and, and reach out to me. I'm happy to um, connect and just give you financial tips. I always tell people I'm not in the business of picking stocks, but I am in the v- business of sharing practical steps that, that will help you to get on your journey to be financially fit and Look out for those who are in London for um, a Women Who Brunch and Budget event coming soon. Yay. Nice. So thank you so much, Renee. I really appreciate it. I, I think that, you know, this can be the year that we are really facing our fears around our finances, that we really can be more financially fit, that we really can uh, start saving more and um you know, being more wise with our, our money. But really, again, I think just holding a new vision of what we see ourselves and be willing to be vulnerable and let go of the shame and the fear um, around it and get some help. Um, and whether that's calling you um, 
or, you know, many of us have people in our lives who we know are doing well, you know, like you talked about your dad um, in your life, or you got that uncle, that cousin, you know, that aunt, that, you know, that friend, that mom, that, that it'd be good to reach out to them and say, Hey, can we sit down? Can, do you mind going through with me on some of my debt? Do you mind being my financial mentor? Like, I like you are goals and I really would like to get there and I need help. So just want to encourage us all as I even encourage myself uh, to really reach out for help and that it, like you said, it's never too late. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I truly feel honored to share my story. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. I hope that you were encouraged by Renee's story. Please subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with others that you feel will benefit from this topic and message. Also, I'd love to continue to stay connected with you. So find me on Instagram at niasha underscore B or search my name, Niasha Braylock, on all other social media platforms such as Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. So until next time, this is It's a Small World podcast. Please stay encouraged, stay connected, and keep dreaming big. Thank you.